and welcome to another episode of the Green Adelaide Podcast. 2024 is a leap year. To mark this additional day in Feb, this month's episode is a rerun of our most listened to show with Professor Chris Daniels and Brenton Greer from Green Adelaide talking about the concept of urban rewilding in Adelaide. We'll dive into what it means for our city, plus talk about the dream of reintroducing platypus to the River Torrens, Katawitapari, one day soon. We'll get back to new episodes from next month. Here we go. The Green Adelaide Podcast is your insider scoop on all things cool, green and wild in metropolitan South Australia. Do you want to have a career in South Australia's environmental industry? Then this podcast is for you. We are Adelaide's first and only environmental podcast. I am your host, Melissa Martin, and I'm the communications manager at Green Adelaide, who loves red-tailed black cockatoos. Let's get going on the episode with the leaders of Green Adelaide, Brenton and Chris. First, he leads the strategy and operations of Green Adelaide. He has a long career in land management, ecological restoration, um, natural resources management throughout SA. By trade, he's a geographer, so that's all about the science of spatial patterns across our earth and society. He loves surfing, multi-day hikes with no showers, and collecting vintage South Australian surfboards. It's the director of Green Adelaide, Brenton Greer. Hey, thanks, Mel. Very good. And spatial, you can see you're not a geographer. Oh, spatial, spatial, geez. Next, he started by studying geckos in Adelaide and then later completed his PhD in zoology and worked in the United States. From there, he followed a career in zoology as an academic at all of SA's unis until he switched sides to SA's environmental agencies, from heading up Cleveland Wildlife Park to leading the Koala Life Foundation and featuring on multiple SA boards today. He's been a teacher to plenty, writer of many publications, a media talent on ABC and an avid Adelaide Crows supporter. We've got the presiding member of the Green Adelaide Board, Professor Chris Daniels. Hello, Mel. Thanks so much for having us. Well, so today we'll be talking about Green Adelaide in general and a little bit about rewilding as well, which is a fun concept, which feels kind of new to many. So first, we'll just dive into you guys and a little bit about you. And so you're both very cool, calm leaders, very approachable leaders in the environmental sector. And so I just want to get to know you guys a little bit, a little bit better. So the first question is what South Australians love to ask, and I'm sure you've got it many, many times in your life, is what school did you go to? <laughs> yes, the quintessential South Australian um, question, isn't it? So I went to Linden Park Demonstration School as a primary student and then moved to St Peter's College. Left there in 1977. And, Brenton, you're very different in your journey to environmental leader for school. Um, Chris has got a great pedigree. Mine, mine, I would call great. It's the Elizabeth East Primary School, Murray Bridge South Primary School, and Elizabeth High School. So, look, they're great people. One of our ex-governors came from Elizabeth East Primary School. So, there you go. And so, Chris, I'll start with you. Um, if you could tell a little bit about your story of how you ended up as an environmental leader. So, how did you go from high school to your journey um, to be an environmental leader today? Well, look, it was really a very easy set of decisions for me. I was always incredibly passionate about nature. I started off as a four or five-year-old fossicking around um, in the bush up at the uh, Mount Lofty Ranges, um, collecting frogs in particular, and um, just sort of hunting and roaming the hills with my, my brother and some other friends. Once you spend time outdoors, 
you can't ever do anything else. And so I was, I was bitten by the, uh, the zoological bug really early, particularly then moved into reptiles. So I was only ever going to do zoology at university, which I absolutely loved. I was a fairly average student at school, but I just adored doing zoology. And so from there, I just followed the, the line through the, the PhD. I was lucky enough to uh, get a scholarship to go to University of New England, which was just animal heaven up there in a, a rural community, which was fantastic, um, and worked as a tutor there to put myself through the PhDs. And then I landed my first academic job at University of California at Irvine, and then from there to Flinders and followed up through to my first professorship uh, in 2005. So I remained a professor there until 2018 when offered the job to move away from doing academic teaching to trying it in the real world and spend some time with, with community, engaging them with, with nature. Yeah, um, different than, than Chris's, but there are similarities. So um, as you, you noted, uh, brought up in Elizabeth to start off with, and Elizabeth was an outskirt, and so we roamed the creeks and the hills and so on, and so... And I wasn't particularly drawn to the, the wildlife, I have to be honest. Oh, the landforms always interested me. So a gully, why was a gully there or, or a hill's face um, was there. So I love that part of it. Um, my family wasn't particularly nerdy, but what I'm going to say next makes them sound nerdy. Um, I do remember sitting around tea tables and having conversations with my three brothers and uh, parents about the value of the hill's face zone, for example, um, and then the... Dad actually joined the Monato Development Commission, which was going to be a new town, just Adelaide side of uh, Murray Bridge, and he took us up there for a couple of years, and uh, that gave more more of a chance to just roam the countryside and do things. Um, so in, that ended up, uh, even though uh, I did spend a year straight out of high school as a, they called you a messenger research officer at Parliament House, but really you were just a glorified messenger boy, not even glorified. So that, that opened me up to politics, which was fascinating. Um, but then, yeah, I, I ended up doing honours in geography and a grad dip in natural resources. To get to know our leaders a little differently, we're going to do a quick lightning round. Chris and Brenton, I'll ask each of you 10 either or questions and then please call out your answer. So Chris, texting or talking? Texting. Favourite day of the week? Saturday. Nickname your parents used to call you? Uh, Chris or Christopher if I was in trouble. First celebrity crush? Uh, or um, Farrah Fawcett Majors. Dawn or dusk? Dawn. What's the best age? Now. Name one of your one of the seven dwarfs. Grumpy. What would, would you want to live forever? No. What's for dinner tonight? Mmm. Probably pasta. Godfather or Star Wars? Godfather. Oh. <laughs> that was kind of weird. <laughs> I'm not quite sure whether we're having pasta. We're probably having pasta. Uh, not chips and murder chicken. No, no. We, uh, good chips, was in, in trouble, but, but then we did eat them, so <laughs> they were quite delicious. All right, Brenton, 30 seconds on the clock. Brenton, big dogs or small dogs? Small dogs. How many hours of sleep do you need? Seven. Are rats cute? No. How many cups of coffee do you drink per day? Three. Giving presents or getting presents? Giving presents. Climb a mountain or jump from a plane? Climb a mountain. If you were given the opportunity to fly into space, would you take it? 
Yeah, no. <laughs> <laughs> How would you rate your karaoke skills on a scale of one to Mariah Carey? I am excellent. <laughs> What's the name of the street you grew up on? Nimitz Road. What's your favourite bird? Square tail kite. <laughs> <laughs> Actually, you know, what's good to do it? I should do those about Brenton and Brenton should do those about me. And that, would, that would give some really interesting answers. Now let's jump to a bit of a different topic and talk about rewilding, which can be a bit of a buzz term. And just to bring a link there, so the wilder word in our vision for Green Adelaide came from the term rewilding. And the concept or term entered the conversation in probably the early 90s and it gained a lot of momentum in Europe and the US in the mid-90s. It is very generally about restoring the natural processes with minimal to no management needed in the long term. A really popular example of rewilding is the grey wolves that were introduced or reintroduced to Yellowstone National Park in the US in 95. The impact of reintroducing this apex predator to the park who was originally, I think, killed off in the 1930s, kicked off an avalanche of beneficial change, including an increase in the beaver population, helped the elk population move around, and it has helped regenerate the plant and river life in the park and it's left it in better shape today. Now, there are some negatives to the rewilding, but that's the general positive spin on it, and it's a popular story. So rewilding the park with wolves brought back balance to the park's ecosystem. Now. There's research out there that points out that rewilding means different things in different countries. Even the term urban, so city rewilding, can mean something else. So what does urban rewilding mean here in metropolitan South Australia? Is it about returning apex predators to our city? So do I, shall I start? Yeah, go on. All right. Okay. And then, but I'll make sure you have plenty of time for Benton because so. Yes, re rewilding initially started off in the 1990s as the concept of bringing back complex nature, but it was predator-driven and it was apex predator-driven. So you discussed wolves, for example, there, and you have huge-scale land, a large number of connections, and then you reintroduce apex predators that control the herbivores that were destroying the landscape. So you talked about elk for a, a, as a good example of um, an animal that was chewing all the trees. And that works for that sort of Yellowstone, and there's Yellowstone to Yukon, uh, there's the Great Caledonian Forest in Scotland, uh, there's the big eastern band that runs through Poland, Romania, Bulgaria now, and there's a range of, of others here. From there, the word rewilding moved into translocations or the reintroduction of species that had gone extinct from a particular region. It also applies to humans rewilding themselves, so going out and eating mushrooms, which I don't recommend because you can never Not be magic. quite sure what mushroom you're eating. But, you know, connecting with foraging and, and just um, forest bathing and those sorts of activities. There are a number of important cultural issues that were raised around rewilding, including removing people from land that they had farmed for hundreds of generations, for example, and there were some clashes around those in Europe and in West Africa. In Australia, we don't really have an apex predator, so that sort of approach doesn't work. Uh, there has been suggestions to reintroduce dingoes to, to some areas, and that's been met with ferocious debate, of course, by many sheep farmers and many sorts of farmers. And in fact, our problem is not 
um, introducing predators, it's actually getting rid of introduced predators. So cats and foxes do so much damage to it. So we have to rethink about it. And the way we've tended to think about it is around translocations. So introducing species back into areas. So um, there have been Tama wallaby into in Indus National Park, the collection of, of bilbies that have been introduced into Ikara um, that you've been involved in, uh, retail, those sorts of activities. Fescagals and the Gammon Ranges. Yellowfoot rock wallabies. Yep. Yep. Uh, that's right. So those sorts of things. If you're reintroducing species that were there and that have a role in an ecosystem but have been eliminated because of degraded habitat or hunting or whatever, why can't you do that in an urban area? And urban areas tend to be in biodiversity hotspots because we've tended to put our cities on the best water, on the best land. So therefore, you've got the best soil, air and water. So not surprisingly, you had the best biodiversity. And in South Australia, we have a biodiversity hotspot, one of only 15 in Australia, the only one in, found in South Australia, and it's the city of Adelaide with the Mount Lofty Ranges and Kangaroo Island. So this is where most of the biodiversity is or was. So it certainly beholds us to bring back things that were here or to support those that are on a knife edge. So things like sacred kingfishers, pygmy blue tongues, checkered copper butterflies, uh, square-tailed kites, um, these animals, and also a range of plants like orchids have really struggled but if we can bring them back, they should establish, they should be part of our landscape, and then we are both improving our quality of life and we're playing a really important role in conserving biodiversity. So that's what rewilding in an urban context means yeah, to me. I like some of the examples. Um, in, um, in Adelaide, uh, it's certainly not a apex predator, but you often have to start with the habitat and the plants first, of course. You need somewhere for the animal, whatever it is, to live. Um, and a pretty successful one has been the... The tussock sedgelands, uh, the, I think the plant's called Garnia phylum, and uh, coastal people have been reintroducing in that, and then that means you can reintroduce the yellowish sedge skipper, not the yellow sedge skipper because it's a butterfly. It's a butterfly, yes. But it's yellowish, not yellow. You've got to get this right. Yeah. <laughs> and you better not get that wrong. Um, but that's uh, and that's been great because you know school kids have been involved in that. So and, and I know there are a number of other butterflies that have been reintroduced after the grasslands and sedgelands have come back. So um, I love that part about it. Um, so they, for us, it does usually end with translocations of some sort. So we've got a few good stories for Australia, but why do you think the concept here hasn't been as successful? Can I say that I think one has been uh, incredibly successful, and Chris may uh, disagree with me here, but koalas. So koalas introduced into the Adelaide Mount Lofty Ranges. I, th I think Chris will correct me here, but they haven't been here for at least two to 3,000 years, I understand. They were reintroduced in maybe the 1910s and 20s. Wow, they have been successful. Perhaps that they may uh, be categorised as overabundant um, now. But there's one rewilding, so it's not such a new term. That's that's a really interesting example because we do think about rewilding differently to the rest of the world. We're undergoing significant climate change and we have removed a huge amount of the habitat, the natural habitat of this continent. We're not a country, we're a continent. And we have done this whole scale damage. So therefore, it is 
apparent that some species are doing well or may only survive in areas that they weren't in previously. Koalas are a really good example where they're thriving in South Australia and Victoria but are looking like they will go extinct in Queensland and northern New South Wales. So if you want to save the species, it may well be important to save them here. Um, Another question just that will lead into is around the cultural impact of rewilding. So in other words, people need to change their perception of nature, as you alluded to before, Chris. So do you think the people of Adelaide are ready for a wilder city or we really love our good-looking, aesthetic city? Such a good question. Uh, I'll answer it very briefly. Yes, I think because we have naturally been a garden city. So our backyards and our front yards were always really important to us. Maybe not our open spaces because we always had our open space. We always did our family things in our backyard. But that meant we maintained lawns, we had trees, we put in lots of trees, all sorts of trees. We have 1,500 introduced, established species of trees from elsewhere in the world now, um, species of plants, um, which is the same number of of species as our indigenous species. So we've got 3,000 different species of plant just in our greater Adelaide area. So we love plants. So we love nature. Now it's about education and engagement, about helping people take responsibility by sharing and assisting, providing resources so that people can then take the next steps to becoming more ecologically literate. And I don't think we should um, expect people to always make that jump by themselves, so that's one of the roles of Green Adelaide to make the make the case, make the argument that being a wilder city is a better thing, and wilder looks a bit different. But if you're brought up with a, a neat manicured lawn, a rose garden, a couple of uh, specimen trees, to see the park lands, to see your local park having uh, uh, a little um, unkept grassland, it's what it may it may look like. Um, that takes a little bit of um, of understanding and acceptance and, uh, you know, you're not going to write a, count, a letter to the council about it not being mowed anymore. Mm. It's not black and white. It's always about and. So you can love roses. Adelaide is one of the rose capitals of the world. And you can love nature. And you can enjoy uh, many of our wonderful trees like jacarandas that are introduced. And you can recognise the importance of river red gums as the boarding house of the bush. And Brenton, what do you say to those, maybe your neighbours or your family, who are more about their convenience? I don't want a tree because I don't want branches falling on my on my footpath. I don't want grass because I want fake grass because I want it to look good all the time. I don't want it to maintain it any time of my life. So what do you say to people who have that philosophy towards nature? That is difficult um, sometimes, and uh, I have... Uh older parents who we might have that argument occasionally. Um, so by by retaining trees on your property, yes, you will have to either yourself or get someone to uh, clean your gutters occasionally, but you've got shade in summer. You know, we have beautiful but long, hot summers, and um, I can tell you now that um, being able to go outside your property and to walk into shade is a beautiful thing. You actually might save money as well because um, you actually might not spend so much money on air conditioning. Uh, you also might save money on uh, fuel for your lawnmower because you um, you may not be uh, having to mow so much lawn. Um, there are trade-offs, and you've got to change your mindset as well that um, – Neat isn't always the best thing to uh, to have uh, around your district in your suburb.
So let's jump to the River Torrens. So everyone who lives in Metropolitan Adelaide has probably visited the Torrens at least once. And you might not even know it because it's actually 85 kilometres long and it runs from the hills to the sea. So it is our main river and we like to say it's the soul of Adelaide. But as you might know, the ecosystem of the Torrens was messed up in the past. So people generally still think it's polluted. They think they can't touch it, can't swim in it, definitely can't drink it. So I know there's been lots of work over the last 20 years to make it healthier. So much work has got into it. Um, but the same sentiment is still there. People think it's a bit too, bit too polluted. So do you think, and I'll throw this to you, Brenton, to start off, has it become too wild today? Or are we just really stuck in this manicure? It has to look crystal clear like a pool. Um, is it too wild from 20 years of rehab or is it still polluted? The interesting question, Mel. Um, so is it too wild? No, absolutely not. Um, and there are, you know, often we talk about rivers in terms of their reaches, different parts of the river. And they're, they're right now there are parts of the, the torrents that are wild, but there are certainly parts that are very manicured as well. I wouldn't call the Torrens Lake near the Adelaide Oval particularly wild, although uh, hats off to the local council. They're planting rushes and sedges and things around around it. So um, is it too polluted? That's, that's another one. Uh, I won't say too much. I'll hand to Chris, but we have had some feedback from interstate colleagues who've gone, wow, in terms of the visual pollution – so much less here in the Torrens than they would expect to see in a similar um, river in urban areas in the east in the eastern states. So, um, and in water quality, I th I think there it still has a few problems in terms of water quality. But what do you think, Chris? It's actually not not too bad in terms of water quality as part of a number of projects that will come up to the public eye in the next few months. We have had uh, measures of the litter in the in the river, and it's doing incredibly well. And that's in large part to things like the container legislation, the ten cents for bottles and cans. So there's not those sorts of structures in the in the water. We also run gross pollutant traps up and down uh, several of the feeder creeks as well as the main river, and that traps the the leaf and the sticks and so forth. So that's reduced the the mullock that's gone into the river. So it's actually in surprisingly good condition. It it really has recovered spectacularly. It's brown because it has vegetation in it and the tannins come out and most rivers that have strong vegetation around it are brown in colour. So that swimming pool type belief is is a really poor image. And the last question that's a, um, leading from the Torrens and how great it has got over the, over the years um, is around, I guess, Green Alley's project. So I'm rewinding, I guess we're focusing on small mammals and how we can reintroduce them. So one of our um, projects for Green Adelaide is about how we can reintroduce platypus to the River Torrens, which is very uh -huh. exciting. So for those listening that might not know, the platypus were actually native to the Torrens back in the 1880s, and then th um, through colonisation um, and development on the river, they were lost. So uh, maybe I'll start with you, Brenton. Uh, just a two-part question to it, and I'll throw it to Chris for the second part. Do you think it's possible to release platypus into the torrents? I do think it's possible. I have the luxury of having seen some of the work that's been done over the last couple of years that uh, would lead me to say that. But we have habitat, we have water quality, 
We need to find the right platypus. We need to get the community to support it. But I absolutely think it's possible. And Chris, how far off do you think we are till I can walk down the Torrens? I live in Henley Beach area. <laughs> walk down the Torrens in Henley Beach, uh, West Beach, really. And can I see a platypus there? How long till, till I can see a platypus? I think it won't be very long. I think not only can we do it, I think we must do it. I think we owe it to the platypus. We're the ones who remove them from their habitat. We should be responsible for bringing it back. I think we owe it to Ghana people for whom platypus were a really important, iconic animal, um, really up there with the ibis and, and the, the red kangaroo, of course, as really crucial animals that they use to explain how they use the, the landscape. So we owe it. We do need to engage the community, and there are things that we need to do to make sure that platypus are safe and happy and capable of breeding. Um, but our work to date has shown that it is possible, and it is possible in months to years. Would I like to do it now? Absolutely. I would love to get Let's platypus and work with, with Ghana to, to have them release it. It is, it is actually their story. Uh, our part of the story isn't good, but we've got it back so that it's their story. You know what? Of the 85 kilometres, probably 70 kilometres of it, a perfect platypus habitat. So it's where you would do it and how you would manage it that's the really important next steps. Let's finish off with some key takeaways. Chris Brenton, what should people who want to get into the environmental industry or sector in South Australia know about starting a career or even just a hobby in the environment and for the environment? That it's not as hard as people tell you it is. I think one of the things that I get really frustrated with as an academic um, and then working in this is sector in more private or government roles is how many times people say, don't do science, don't do environment, you'll never get a job, you'll waste your life, um, it's a waste of time. Keep it as a hobby, but it's not a serious uh, profession. That's absolute rubbish. If you are committed to any aspect of environment, from geography to botany, there are a lot of jobs, and a lot of jobs are in unusual places, like working for local government, working for mining companies, um, doing consultancies. There's all sorts of different activities, and now actually working in the political sphere as well, because environmental issues are really important, working in law, working in health, working in education. All of these have environmental connections. I'd say yeah, learn more about what interests you, because you just never know where it might take you. And I think have an optimistic attitude with those of who you work with. I think you'll find most local governments, most communities actually innately do value their local environment. Um, and so if you're interested in urban biodiversity, biodiversity at all, urban greening, yeah, people will people will um, appreciate that, will want to learn about that and will actually uh, almost implicitly understand that that makes for a better life for them. Thank you again to our guests on our first episode. We had the leaders of Green Adelaide, who are also my bosses, the Green Adelaide presiding member, Professor Chris Daniels, and Green Adelaide director, Brenton Greer. Thank you again. 
This is the Green Adelaide Podcast. Thank you for tuning in. We are your insider scoop on all things cool, green and wild in metropolitan South Australia. And remember, subscribe to our podcast for new episode alerts. Thank you.